So we did read this on Sunday. We'll kind of pick our way through it. Uh, But as a, a parent, there are things that you repeat to your kids, right? Year after year, whatever they might be, And they're the big ideas. They're the themes that you're trying to get into your kids. So I was thinking about that idea this morning. And a bunch of years ago, we had gone to the Rogue Cup. So my two older daughters were playing at the Rogue Cup Memorial. It's over in Medford. It's um, a soccer tournament. And the day had not gone as well as they wanted. And so we're driving home along Interstate 5 and they're kind of talking about whatever, refs, other players, all this stuff. And I'm like, girls, listen, two things. And this is something I repeat all the time. Number one, if you wanna play soccer, play soccer. Don't let anyone's opinion or how other people play or what refs say affect you. Just play soccer. If you, want, if you don't wanna play soccer, we're not pushing you to, don't play soccer. But if you wanna play soccer, play it. Don't worry about anyone else. And then number two, I said, um, It's not what happens on Saturday that makes a great soccer player. It's what happened on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You will play just like you practice. And if you're not out there giving it 100%, don't expect Saturday some miracle to happen. So practice like you want to play, right? So Adam and I have said this a bunch of times to them. So we're driving along Interstate 5 and all of a sudden I see this guy hitchhiking on the side of the road and he's huge. He reminded me of Lurch. So I'm like, whoa. But for some reason, I felt like I need to pick him up. He's in this trench coat. It's like 85 degrees. He's just, he's just like trucking along Interstate 5, like, like a man on a mission. I'm like, I don't know what that dude's trip is, but let's pick him up. My wife is like, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, you got all my kids in here. I'm like, two girls get in the back. And we didn't have Myron yet. So my two girls hop in the back. My three girls hop in the back. And it's just Elijah, who's like four years old. And he's sitting in his little seat. And in comes, he's 6'6", this dude is. He's huge. He like fills up the back seat. And Elijah looks over at him and says, at home, I have a shotgun. I'm like, that's brilliant, bro. I mean, that's perfect. That's exactly what you should say in this situation. Good job. Now it's a pump little like, you know, not a real shotgun at four. I wait till he's five to give him a shotgun. <laughs> It was so funny. I'm like, okay. And right, so I, I started asking, his name is Daryl. I'm like, what? what's up, dude? You, you look hot. He's like, man, I came down here to help a friend. Um, ended up, they stole 800 bucks from me. I need to get back to Roseburg. I'm like, well, I can give you a ride, no problem to Grants Pass. Thank you very much. And so we're driving along and I'm asking him questions. And he kind of looks in the back and sees that they're in soccer uniform. He's like, you guys play soccer? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I played soccer. Man, I played soccer uh, in all through high school, I actually got a scholarship. I got a scholarship to go play soccer at the University of Oregon. Like, well, everything makes sense now. All right. <laughs> he's like, I was a goalie. And I'm like, that makes sense. Because the dude had like a wingspan on him. And he's tall. I'm like, no one got a goal by you, dude. You're huge, right? And then he says this. He looks back at my two girls. He goes, okay, two pieces of advice. Number one, if you want to play soccer, play soccer. Don't let anyone change your mind. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> Secondly, practice like you're going to play. I'm like, yeah, I love you, Daryl. <laughs> My girls are like, is this a setup, dad? Did you like hire him? You're going to be like, here's 20 bucks. Thanks, dude. 
yeah, totally. I better give you a ride home, bro. You're so good. Like, those are big things for me. Like, it's not so much how soccer went for you that day. It's the character stuff, right? So we all have these kind of big ideas, big themes that we're reinforcing all the time. All right? So Daniel chapter two, three, excuse me. The image that Nebuchadnezzar makes is not just this image that he like wants to make. He's got a plan behind it. There's an agenda to the image. It's a theme that he's trying to reinforce about the empire, right? That this image is more than just, hey, go out here and bow to this thing. It's reinforcing something that's really important to Nebuchadnezzar and the empire, right? It might be like this. Here's my best American illustration. What do we have on Ellis Island? A big image, right? It's the image that represents something to America. What does it represent to us? Liberty, right? Because to America, freedom is really important, right? We threw off tyranny, right? No taxation without representation. We believe this is home of the free. We want freedom of press. We want freedom of religion. We want freedom to to say what's on our heart. We don't want a state telling us things. We want to be free. So this image that welcomes people to America, it's more than just this statue that's there. It's representing an ideal to us as Americans, right? That's what this image is for King Nebuchadnezzar. It's backing up, hey, allegiance to kingdom, allegiance to me, national identity. It's backing all that kind of stuff up. So it's really important to him, all right? So let's jump in. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. A cubit is 18 inches, so it's 90 feet. And its breadth, six cubits. And he set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Probably the furnace where this image was cast. It would have been right there. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image 
that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. A little skinny, but that's all right. It's on the plain of Dura, right? A big flat plain. So imagine just a flat, flat area, Kansas flat, and all of a sudden you have this 90 foot image coming out of it, right? He has set this thing up to really magnify this image. It's almost like in Grant's Pass, if I said, hey, I'm gonna meet you in front of the tall building. Does everybody know what the tall building is? Right, Redwood Tower, right? Six stories tall, huge. Take that same thing, put it in San Francisco. Is it tall anymore? No, it's tall because it's location. So this image, 90 feet on a flat plane just would poke out. Everyone would see it. They'd be like, wow. He's got all, everybody there, the senators, the governors, the Congress people, and this mob is all there. And then the music plays. Does music have power? Like, have you ever watched a really scary music, very, really scary movie? And then in a really bad scene, really like, ah, and then hit mute. What happens to the scary movie? It's nothing, right? Because the music plays in that beat or whatever it is, gets you like, ah, but you just mute it. It's like, oh, that's not so scary after all. That's what music does. It plays into your emotions. It gets you into this. Like a a great rendition of a song can bring you to tears. That's what music does. It has the ability to get into your heart, right? It bypasses your brain. It bypasses all that stuff and gets directly into your emotions. Be careful with music. Like my kids will listen to songs and they'll be like, dad, I just love the beat or I just love the sound. And for a long time, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. And I would just Google the lyrics and I'd sit my girls down and I'd just start reading what the lyrics say. And they'd be like, oh, oh, I didn't know it said that. Oh, I didn't know it. Like getting all like, oh, awkward. I'm like, I'm just, all I'm doing is reading your favorite song here, sweetie. Do you really want this stuff pumped into your brain? Like I have much less concern about the sound. Like people like heavy metal music is demonic, man. Listen to how they sing the raw, 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 raw. I'm like, you know what demons sound like? You know what a demon sounds like? Hey, listen, you can do whatever you want to do. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you feel like doing. That's what a demon sounds like. They don't sound like rah, 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 rah. They come in like, ooh, it's all gonna be good, right? I mean, let's be honest. They come with that deceitful, angelic voice, even as the New Testament says. So, man, I don't care about the sound. What I care about is what are the lyrics that are getting driven into your soul? That's what I care about. Really care about that. I have a a study, it's a great study done on sexually suggestive songs. And they found that kids who listened to sexually suggestive songs, it led them to sex. Surprise, surprise. Wow, that's amazing, really? (laughs) So be careful. Music has a power. So Nebuchadnezzar has set this thing up for a high pressure environment. All the important people are there. Massive image, music that's stirring and a beat that grabs you, right? It is submit to me, bow down to this image. Verse eight. Therefore, 
At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, king, live forever. It's a great way to greet a king, by the way. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This little term here in in the ESV, maliciously accused, it literally means they ate pieces of them, right? We would say today, you got chewed out. That's what they're doing. They're chewing out these guys and they're trying to embarrass Nebuchadnezzar. Have you noticed that? These are the guys you put over Babylon, right? There's all these provinces. They're not over the provinces way out there. They're over Washington, D.C., the center. You put them there and they're not obeying you. Think about the pressure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were under to just conform to this. The music, the power, the threat, the image, everybody obeying except for them. That's pressure. It reminds me, I've got a, uh, I've seared this before, but this guy, his name is August Landmesser. Have you heard of him? So, you know what this is right here? Yeah, Nazi Germany, Hitler's there, Everyone is doing the Heil Hitler salute. But there's a dude circled right there. Next picture. Notice him. How awesome is that? He is standing there in a sea of people that are all doing the same thing, except he's like, no way, no way. Turns out that he was actually dating a Jewish girl at this time. And he's like, no way, man. (laughs) The power of love, baby. I'm not going to conform, right? That's like... These guys, you can turn it off. These guys are in a sea of people doing exactly the same thing with all the pomp, all the power, all the threat. Uh-uh. I will not participate in what you're doing. I wonder if there's a group of Jews that were with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I would assume so. And I wonder if they are discussing what to do. And I bet the conversation was something like this. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not doing it. I bet the conversation went like this. Come on, guys. We all know this image means nothing. It's just this stupid thing that Nebuchadnezzar made. We're just slaves here. We're captives. We have to follow orders. Come on, outwardly we'll bow, but inside... We're still serving Yahweh. Come on, you're good men. You're in positions of power. If you're killed, you will lose all the influence that you have. We no longer can work for the good of the nation. We can no longer witness to the power of Yahweh, right? Think about the influence you'll lose. 
Think about your families back at home. Think about all that. Don't throw away your life on this stupid image. It means nothing. Tomorrow, ask God for forgiveness and he'll forgive you. Wouldn't that conversation have taken place? I think so. But these boys had already made up their mind. Mm -mm. This is a line in the sand that we will not go across, period. And because they'd already made up their mind, it didn't matter how much music there was or how much power there was or how many people that were obeying, none of that mattered because they'd already made up their mind. There is such a strength in saying, I've already made up my mind and I'm not open to discussion. You know the strength in that? Most of us already have already done that on certain things. We've already done that, right? So the majority of us, if we walk out of these doors and we're walking to our car and somebody came up to us in a trench coat, six foot six, and is like, hey, you wanna buy some black tar heroin? You're not gonna be like, hmm, let me think about that for a second. You know, I've never tried it before. It must be really fun because a lot of people get addicted to it and strung out on it. Hmm, let me think about that. No, you'd be like, what are you talking about, man? I don't do that stuff. Why? Because you've already made a line in the sand. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to discuss it. You don't have to talk about it. It's a done issue. It's so much easier. The Bible is full of must nots. Do you know that? 1 Corinthians 10 verse eight. The believer must not commit adultery. It's not, well, you should think about it. No, it's a must not. 1 Timothy 2.24, a believer must not be quarrelsome. So that means, you know what? When somebody's itching for a fight, no, I'm not gonna do it. A believer, 1 Timothy 1.7, must not be arrogant. That's a hard one, isn't it? Ooh, there are must nots. And what the Bible is just saying is, just make a line in the sand and don't cross it. These guys knew, commandment number one says, don't bow down to this image. I don't care if all the other Jews are doing it. I don't care if there's commands. I don't care if you're gonna pressure me. Command number one says, I'm not doing this. And I have a line in the sand. So they don't. So Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? When I was reading this, I wondered what tone did Nebuchadnezzar have with these three guys? I'm a pastor, so I actually know. <laughs> Here's my guess. I think a fatherly tone. He was in furious rage. They're called. It took some time to get him there. And as he thought, he thought, you know, these are my three guys. And I think there's actually like, he's petitioning them like, come on, man. You put me on the spot here, right? I didn't tell on you. Give me a break. 
Just bow down, man. You can't embarrass me like this. You just gotta do it. Just bow down. Give me a, come on, it's burn or bow down. Just do it. I think it's a fatherly, fatherly tone. But he is a little intoxicated with his own power, isn't he? Because it's that final little phrase. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Not out of my God's hands or Marduk's hands, out of my hands. That's why I personally believe the image was a picture of him. It was his image. That this whole thing was about him spreading his thing. We'll talk more about that in the next chapter. And he almost, it's really a rhetorical question, is it not? Who is the God who's gonna deliver you out of my hands? He doesn't actually want an answer. It's just a rhetorical question. Parents ask these all the time. This is my favorite parenting rhetorical question. When a parent looks at his child and says, do you want a spanking? What child is like, hmm, let me think about that for a second. I was gonna play with Legos, but on second thought, yeah, I'll take a spanking, thank you very much. Right, it's one of the dumbest questions. It's kind of like that, like you don't need an answer here, but guess what? They give him an answer and it's brilliant. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If you look at different translations, there's all kinds of different ways to translate this. It's old Aramaic. It's how do you translate it? Um, it's a very respectful way they're saying it. Listen, we have, we've been careful in thinking this out. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love how respectful they are. They are respectful rebels. They don't look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, you uncircumcised pagan. How can you make an image of yourself? You're an arrogant fool. You're blaspheming the real God. They don't yell and shout at him. They don't go hashtag hate Nebuchadnezzar. They don't do any of that, right? I think today there are too many believers that are very bad witnesses and the way that they carry themselves. Like it almost seems like some believers, especially on social media, have like a glee or a happiness that people are going to hell. Man, that's the most horrible thing I can imagine. Like turn or burn, really? Ouch, right, you're going to hell. Right, you better start practicing your shrieking right now because it's coming for you. Man, believers should never do that kind of stuff. It never happens in Daniel. In the most pagan, wicked city in the Bible, they never respond that way. And they have the best faith ever, right? God can do it, but it's up to him. God can deliver us, but it's up to him. That's faith. When I was reading this, I thought, do these three guys think they'll be delivered? They're looking at the situation. They're looking at the power. They're looking at the image. They're looking at everything, the fiery furnace right there. Do they think they're gonna be delivered? Let's go through their life to this point. As teenagers, they're in Jerusalem when King Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to Jerusalem. And I guarantee 
night after night of this siege, these boys got on their knees and they prayed, God, don't let Jerusalem fall to Nebuchadnezzar. And it did. And then they heard about these people that were going through the city and they were calling out young men and young women to drag them 500 miles across the desert to take them to Babylon, apart from their family, apart from country, apart from culture. And they prayed, God, please help it not be me. I don't wanna be taken from my family. But they were. And then they hear about Nebuchadnezzar making this thing out in the plain of Dura. And they prayed, oh, help that not to be true. Help Nebuchadnezzar not to be doing that. But he was. And they prayed, just help him to repent from that. But he didn't. And they heard about the law that was going in that everybody had to come out and had to worship this image. And they prayed that that law would not be enforced. But it was. And when they got out there, they prayed, oh God, make an exception for us, your people, because you know this is not what we're supposed to do. But there wasn't. And when every bowed down, they must have prayed, help no one to see us because we're not doing it. Help us not to be seen, but they were. And when they're seen, they must have prayed, God help us not to be turned in. But someone turned them in. So do you think right now they believe they will escape this fiery furnace? I don't think so but they didn't care. We're not going to bend our knee, period. We're not going to do it. Have your prayers ever felt that way? Where it's just prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer, like, huh, huh, huh. Faith is not getting your way. It's going God's way. That's what faith is. These guys knew that. Faith is not getting our way. Faith is going God's way. And if he doesn't deliver us, that's okay. It's okay. It's what Job would say in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, period, right? So Nebuchadnezzar hears this incredible statement of faith. He's so moved by it, he repents and lets everybody have religious freedom. <laughs> Sometimes things end bad for people that are really good, right? On Saturday, it's 20 years since Columbine when a young girl in a library named Cassie Bernal was asked by some really horrific men, do you believe in God? With a gun to her head. And she says, I do. And now she's in heaven. Sometimes really horrific things happen to people that are really good Right? So here we go. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's why I believe it was fatherly before. He's like begging them. Now he's not. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. I love that. It's like the lists he makes. They kept their hats on too, by the way. <laughs> what other garments do they have? Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego, and they fell bound into the burning furnace. Notice how angry he is, right? Verse 19. I'm so glad our leaders don't get angry like this today, that we as a culture have moved beyond this stuff. (laughs) You know why he's so mad? Because he thought these guys will do anything to save their skin. He thought, I've got the trump card. That's a total slip. (laughs) I've got the card on these guys. I got to ace up my sleeve. They will give everything to save their life. And what do they do? Nope. Kill us then. Kill us. And all of a sudden, it's a play on words here. This, This Verse 18, his expression was changed. Literally, his image was changed. He's created this image, this beautiful image of himself, and now he can't control his own image, right? He's out of control. He can't control his image. I've always said this, that the measure of a man is what makes you angry. You wanna measure what you are? What gets you angry? Look at the life of Jesus. He never got angry for selfish things. The only time he gets angry is when people were hurting people he loved. When people are like, how can you heal that man on the Sabbath day? Are you kidding me? Really? You're gonna be like that? Right? So these three boys have taken every power that Nebuchadnezzar thinks he has. That's what happens. They do Revelation 12, 10. They love not their lives even unto death. That's how the enemies overcome. There's this great story that came out of Romania. There's this revival in the 1980s. It was still behind the Iron Curtain. Um, and the authorities, the communists were trying to, to squelch it. So they gathered all the pastors together and they said, listen, you gotta stop preaching. You gotta stop doing your church thing. You gotta quit it or we're gonna kill you. And one of the pastors stood up and said, you're gonna kill us? Do you threaten me with glory? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. What power did they have then? They had nothing and they just gave up. Like, well, what do you do? We're gonna slaughter all these people? We can't. Man, when you do Revelation 12, 10, no one has power over you. So that's why his fury changed. It's like, ah. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Pretty cool. What's the one thing that burned? The ropes. And they're in there just chatting. I believe with Jesus. Um, the, The Jewish scholars actually have a term for a lot of the appearances of Yahweh, they call it the second Yahweh, and it's all over the Bible. Genesis 18, wrestles with Jacob, Hosea, here, Jesus. He shows up. They're in there just, I love the eavesdrop. Not too close, it's pretty hot, but love to hear this conversation right here. How brilliant. How proud can you be of these guys, right? You didn't fall for the idol, right? Good job. You listened to your moms, right? Your mom's got this into you when you were young and you stuck by it no matter what. How free are they now? Man, they got nothing. No one's going to hold anything to them. I think there are times we need 
a fiery furnace in our life to set us free, to change your view, to just help you just, just clear the slate. That's what things do. Like you're not attached to stuff anymore. Like just a, a bad thing can really be helpful. I'll give you a really silly example. Uh, a couple of years ago, we went hiking down Rainy Falls. And as we're driving, it must've been a really popular day to do it because there's all these cars parked and there's the side with the cliff on it. You know, it's got like the, 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 the bank right there. And there was this brand new Dodge, four wheel drive, super nice Dodge. Still had the Lithia Dodge license plate and everything, brand spanking new. And as I drove by, I looked over and a big rock had rolled off of that embankment and landed right in the center of his hood. It was just, you're like, oh, yeesh. I make sure and park on the other side from that point on. It set him free though. Whoever's car that was, the first scratch, the first dent, what, you're set free then, right? <laughs> Truly you're set free. <laughs> it's damaged now. Sometimes we need things damaged a little bit because we get set free. Sometimes the one time you stand up for your faith and really express what you believe, all of a sudden you're not hiding anymore. You're not cowering anymore. You're not worried about it anymore. Why? Because they already know now. And you're like, oh, I'm free. I've been worried about what they think of me. I've been worried about talking about this, but I stood up, I expressed it, and now I'm free. They don't control me anymore. They can't hurt me anymore. I've said what I believe. I'm set free. Sometimes standing up can be the most freeing thing in the world. So then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no thanks. <laughs> they came out from the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. How incredible is that? I go to Burger King and I smell like a barbecue, <laughs> right? These guys are like, dude, our clothes are fine. I'm wearing these tomorrow. This is awesome. It's unbelievable. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> like you still got control, I guess. For there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. How cool is that? And the dudes that ratted on him were running for their lives right now. Dude, we gotta get out of here. So Nebuchadnezzar makes this decree, but he's not a believer. It takes chapter four for him to believe. He's just a politician. That's all he is. Ooh, look at the polls. Oh my goodness, Yahweh is rising. Hmm, what should I do? Get on board, right? I'm getting on board with Yahweh then. His, his stock's going up, so let's jump in that. So three notes and we're done. I wonder how many of the Jews who bowed when they watch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand and then go through the furnace, had wished that they had stood as well. 
Oh, man. Why didn't we stand? Why did we participate in this thing? You ever felt that way? You ever watch somebody walk out their faith in such a beautiful way that you just go, oh, man, I wish I would have done that. Don't participate in Babylon. Don't. Stand up. Defend. Stand for your faith. Because what will happen is this. If you don't, it controls you then. It just begins to, it binds you up and controls you. These three men revealed, hey, you can stand up. You can stand up. You don't have to bow to the image. And we have, I think today, we'll never have an image like this probably set up. I, I would doubt it. Maybe it's possible. But there's a soft participation that always happens. Right? Laughing at jokes that you shouldn't laugh at. You should just say, yeah, that's not funny. Right? I'm not laughing at that. Watching garbage. I think every TV should have written on the bottom of it, I won't honor anything that doesn't honor Jesus. I'm not gonna participate in that. That's not, that's not good. Forwarding emails, whatever it is. Being quiet when you shouldn't, def not defending the people that you should. It's this soft participation and it will control you. It will begin to bind you up and inhibit you from what you wanna do. Don't bow, don't participate, just like them. Number two, their faith, verse 29, freed the nation. So for the rest of the reign of Babylon till the Medo-Persians come, then there's another event that has to set people free. For the entire reign of the 70 years of Babylon or so, Jewish people are now free to worship Yahweh because of three men. How brilliant is that? These three men blaze a trail for everyone else to follow. You and my, our small acts of non-participation, standing, resisting culture, blaze a trail for other people. And when we won't do that, all we do is kick the can down the road for them to try to do it. Stand. These guys set free thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people to worship Yahweh correctly. Pray for that kind of courage. Remember your name, right? That's chapter one. Don't forget your name. Don't forget who you are, right? These guys never forgot who they were. Babylon, you can try to rename us, but you won't change us. We know who we are and we won't bow to that image. And then lastly, and thirdly, promotion followed their persecution, right? Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I think that very often God wants to do stuff with us individually, but he won't put something in a man or woman's heart, hand, until he's done a work in a man or woman's heart. Because if not, if you put something in our hand, like ruling over Babylon, before he's done a work in our heart, what's in our hand will ruin our hearts. So God says, I gotta do a work in your heart first. And trust me on this math. Trust me on it. And then I can put something in your hand. I can give you a new responsibility. It's Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know. Not we think, not we hope. We know. All things work together for good 
to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But the next verse is just as important because God's will for all of us is verse 29. And it's this, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the son. And that takes fiery furnaces to do that. That very often the refiner's fire is what moves us towards more Christ likeness. And since we know all things work together for good, I trust, I trust the furnace. The hand of my father is on the thermostat. It's on the timer. And it was exactly what I need to be made into his son's image. And I trust him and I stand for him. Don't participate. Stand up, blaze a trail for other people, knowing, knowing very often it's the persecution, it's the hard things, it's the difficult things that go right before promotion and trust him. So Jesus, this day, we're grateful for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're grateful that they stood. They stood against probably the advice of their friends, the advice of other people, that they had made a commitment in their heart to never bow the knee to any other God. I pray that we would be a people that do not participate in the Babylonian system, a system that degrades people, a system that uses people for its own pleasure, a system that rages against anything that stands against it, that we would not participate in those things, that we would honor only those things that honor you with the knee, with bowing. Give us that kind of fortitude. Give us that kind of courage. Make us after these three guys. May you stand with us. May you empower us. May you build into us the ability to stand against the culture and against the Babylonian system, Lord. Help us in that. May we go from here, purified by scripture. May we go from here, having our hearts refined by your spirit, our minds renewed by you, able to go to jobs and stand able to be in families sometimes that don't love you and stand, able to go into conversations and stand. So may we have the fortitude from these three men, from the example that we've seen in them, from the filling of your spirit, from the knowledge that we can stand. May we stand. And I ask this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.